Welcome once again. We are so glad that you're here, as has uh, already been mentioned. Uh, and my name is Alan, and we are starting a new series here this morning called Identity. And the primary question driving this is, do we really know who we are? Do we really know who we are? You may not connect with that question uh, yet. Hopefully you will by the end of today or, or throughout this series. But I'm confident that you're interested at least in who you are. And that's evidenced by the number of personality tests there are there and how interested we are in personality tests. You may have done these at school or at work uh, or different ways that we uh, figure out who we are by these tests. We take 170 questions and then they tell us who we are and so we can find out which animal we are. Isn't that helpful? Or which color we are, or which shape, or which type of tree, or which type of vegetable you are. That is life transforming. Some say that there are four different personality types in this world. Just four different types. Some say the Myers-Briggs test says there are 16 different personality types. Others might argue that there are 7.6 billion personality types in the world. Uh, Jan Van Amerongen is one of the pastors on our staff here, and he's one of those Myers-Briggs gurus. Do you, do you know any Myers-Briggs gurus who, yeah, okay, they're the kind of people where after a three-minute conversation, they say, you know, I knew you were going to say that because you're an ISTJ. <laughs> and it's really kind of annoying because all you're thinking is, I thought I was an otter. I, I don't understand how this works. <laughs> but Jan has been on staff with us for a year, and in that time, he has created a significant amount of confusion for me because I remember taking the Myers-Briggs test a number of years ago and I tested and I've always referred to myself and introduced myself as an ENTP. I'm an ENTP. Hi there, how are you? I'm an ENTP. That's kind of how I've seen myself. That's my identity in terms of the Myers-Briggs test. Well, as I've gotten older, the E has started to slip. As I've gotten older, for those of you who are familiar with the test, E is extrovert and I is introvert. As I've gotten older, I've realized I've become more introverted. And so I'm maybe middle of the road, maybe even slipping into becoming an I. But what Jan has done in his conversations with me as we've talked, because he's a Myers-Briggs guru, is, is he has been questioning my N. What kind of person questions another man's end? And so he says, because I'm making these specific observations about these details, he says, Alan, I'm not sure you're so much of intuitive that you're more sensory. You're more of an S than an N. And then he's even challenging my T, which is the strongest of all my things, saying I'm, I, I sometimes respond like a feeler. <laughs> I can't believe he would say that. And he says these things, and so I'm very confused in terms of who I am. So right now, I'm kind of an E-I-N-S-T-F-P. That's who I am, and I'm sticking with it. I'm solid on the P, I think. Uh, uh, but anyway, some of you so far may not give a rip about what I've said so far. <laughs> My apologies for that. You might wake up each morning and just go, yes, it's another day. Here is another Sunday. You might get to work, and in the middle of your day, you think... I was born for this. I love this. I know who I am. I know exactly who I am. And I'm thriving in my life, thriving in my role. Fantastic. Most of us, however, will have some moments or seasons in our lives when we ask our questions, ask the question, do I really know who I am? Do, do, am I really 
uh, comfortable with who I am? Am I at peace with who I am? Am I the person that I hoped I was going to be at this stage of my life? Am I living the life that I wanted to live? Am I stuck with my strengths and weaknesses? Or is there a creator who made me and who wants to invite me into something even more? Do we really know who we are? That's the question we're going after in this series and this morning. As we head into that, would you bow your heads briefly with me and pray once again? Father, I pause here before we take another step forward because once again, I just want to say this is, this is not about Alan trying to tell people who they are. God, I, I just am excited about your presence here in this series. God, would you come and speak to us through your presence and through your word to help us understand who we are, who we are in you, um, who we are uniquely. God, I pray that you would allow this journey over these next few weeks to stir that up in us. We give you our attention here in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, again, I think uh, most of us are interested or have some kind of questions in terms of who am I? In fact, I think there is actually an identity crisis uh, in our culture, and that's, that's why I want to go after this, this series here, this second series into this new building. Uh, I think there is a lot of confusion around who we are because there are a lot of powerful entities that are trying to tell us who we are. The culture is trying to tell us, the government is trying to tell us, our families are trying to tell us. Religion is trying to tell us. Some uh, uh, tall Canadian is trying to tell us. Whatever. There's so many different entities. And so who are we supposed to listen to? Who's right? Who's the one that we're supposed to listen to in terms of who we are with so many powerful entities uh, speaking into this? In the early 1900s, Charlie Chaplin was very famous. And in fact, there was this thing called Chaplinitis. It was just incredibly popular as a, uh, as a movie actor in these silent movies. And they had Charlie Chaplin lookalike contests across the world. And they were a big deal. And many people would show up for them and try to uh, figure this out and act like Charlie Chaplin. Apparently in 1916, in Monte Carlo, Charlie Chaplin himself entered a Charlie Chaplin contest and he got third place. Isn't that amazing that the, the powerful entities decided these two are better at being Charlie Chaplin than Charlie Chaplin? There's this, there's this confusion so often in terms of who we are and our understanding of who we are and people telling us who we are. Last week, at the end of our previous series, I talked about the difference between darkness and light and how consistently that shows up in Scripture. And... I think there are times when our journey towards identity and, and wanting to answer the question of who we are, that we are walking in the darkness sometimes. In fact, I want to pull up a uh, verse from Proverbs chapter 4 in the Old Testament. Uh, a couple verses there, Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, the writer says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. It, it's like we're 
we're walking around in the dark trying to identify who we are and figure this out and stumbling into things, bumping into things in the dark, not even knowing what they are, perhaps even being surprised by how did that get there or how is that affecting me so much? Why am I so dramatically affected by that piece? What does that say about me in this ongoing journey for us to, to discover, to get peace with who we are? There's tremendous confusion around this in, in trying to figure out how we are supposed to navigate the decisions and the situations in life. We're confused because there's a difference between who we are and what we are. That so often in social settings, the, the first question that we ask one another is, what do you do for a living? And it's a very reasonable question. It's a great question because it addresses so many of the hours that we spend our time on, and so it's a natural question to move into that. Some people love that question because it's a great launching pad into something that they very much want to talk about. Some people hate that question because uh, there's, they don't want to start the conversation with their employment for whatever reason. I tend to avoid that question. I do not like to jump into a conversation. I try not to ask somebody what they do for a living because who we are is not identical to what we do or what we are. There's overlap for sure. That's part of our story, certainly. But so often the what we are becomes the definition of who we are, and it's, it's just not true. It's just not fair. They're not an, an overall overlap. Who we are is something bigger than that, and there's confusion there. In our culture now, of course, there's, there's sexual, gender confusion, gender confusion, and wherever you stand on those things, theologically or sociologically, I think it's hard to deny that our culture is, is going through a, 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 a crisis in terms of understanding who we are. And, and it's not getting any better because the information just keeps on pouring in. And when there's more information, there's more options. And when there's more options, there's more confusion. And so, the more and more we become the age of information, the more options that are available to us and the more confusion that is there. I think, I think some of us are confused in some way with regard to what's my identity? Who am I? But this is not a new question. It's not a new concern. It's not a... It's not a, a strictly modern concern. It's not a Western concern. It's not a first world concern. In fact, this goes way back. This morning, I want to take a look at a story that uh, we're all familiar with on some level. It's the story of Moses. And I want to first take a look at uh, the New Testament actually looks back and talks about M Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is referred to as the faith chapter because the writer walks through a number of stories in the Old Testament, men and women of faith, and just kind of sees how their uh, faith is consistent throughout all of these stories. So the writer of Hebrews says this about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not uh, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Let me just back up and uh, remind you of what this story is and what was going on here. 
The people of God were known as the Hebrews, and they were living in Egypt at the time. They went there because of Joseph. Joseph went to Egypt, and so then the whole family went there. And they grew significantly in numbers and in strength. The Hebrew people became numerous, and they were powerful, and they became a threat to the Egyptian leadership. The Pharaoh of Egypt, who is the king of Egypt, decided, because there was such a threat from the Hebrew people, decided to turn the men into slaves and to kill all the Hebrew baby uh, boys. All the Hebrew babies who were born male were, were to be killed because there was such a threat of this growing and developing Hebrew nation, Hebrew people. This is the king's edict that the writer of Hebrews is referring to here. And there was this one mom who was not afraid of the king's edict, this one mom who took her baby boy and hid her away from the Egyptians coming to kill the babies, put the baby boy into a basket and set him down the Nile River. He was discovered down the river by none other than the daughter of the Pharaoh. This uh, lady did not have any children of her own. Um, there's no evidence, there's evidence that she could not have a child. And so she saw this baby in the basket and, and, uh, and, and picked up the baby and took the baby to be her own and named the baby Moses, which means pull out. She pulled him out of the Nile River. And, and so Moses was then this baby growing up. He's a Hebrew slave, but he's, but he's born of a Hebrew slave mom, growing up as Egyptian royalty. But as he got older, he learned more about life, learned more about his background, and he encountered an identity crisis, a significant identity crisis. The writer of Hebrews has this to say, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, here's where the identity crisis kicks in, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This was a significant dilemma for this young man. Was he Egyptian royalty or a Hebrew slave? And the difference in those two paths was extraordinary. If he chose Egyptian royalty, he was actually the daughter of Pharaoh who had no other children, she was potent, he was in, potentially in line to be the Pharaoh, to be the next king. He was certainly royalty, but he was actually in line to possibly be the top dog. Or if he chose to be or embraced his Hebrew nationality, then he would at the very least be a slave. He would become a slave even if he survived, if he survived that journey because he was supposed to have been killed as a baby boy. The difference between his identity of those two was enormous. It was enormous. So here's, I, I want to jump back into the book of Exodus and look at the actual story that the writer of Hebrews is referring to. But before I do that, Here's, here's the point I want to make, and it's really the point for, the, for this morning, is this idea that when we don't know who we are, when there's confusion, then we don't know how to respond to the circumstances of life. When we don't know who we are, it's harder to make decisions. Moses had a difficult decision because he wasn't sure about who he was. So we jump back to this story, into the book of Exodus, deep into the Old Testament, the Old Testament begins with the book of Genesis, which means the beginning. 
great book. And then it goes into the book of Exodus, which is the story of Moses. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, is the story um, that we find of this young man. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So he was starting to embrace that this Hebrew is one of his own, and he had to decide, am I Egyptian royalty? In which case, I have to side with the Egyptian and say, hey, this Hebrew needs to get in line. Or I am, am I a Hebrew slave? Is my identity a Hebrew slave? In which case, I would say, you can't beat him up for nothing. You can't, you can't do that to my brother, to someone um, in, my, in my nationality. You can't do that. I have to defend. Which side will he choose? Here's an identity crisis. Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses made his choice. That was the moment where he had to decide this way or that way. He made his choice, and in so doing, the Pharaoh found out about it, and, uh, Pharaoh, and Moses had to flee for his life. He had to run, flee for his life, just so that, and he was gone for many, many years. And then the whole story of the Red Sea and the miracles and the, tab and the Ten Commandments and all that happened uh, many, many years later. But here's this story, this, this fork in the road. Do I go this way or that way? If we don't know who we are, we don't know how to respond. If we don't know who we are, we don't know how to respond to the circumstances of life. I want to set up an illustration on this, and it will require some volunteers. And so, uh, can I see if there's anybody courageous enough to come up on stage? I need three people to come up on stage with me. It's not going to hurt a lot. Uh, can three people willing to come on up? Yes, thank you. Come on up. Good for you. We got one. Two more. Two more. Take my dad. I love it when kids do that. Take my dad. Now, that's, that's a man who knows his identity. He knows that's, I got, okay, we got one more. Come on up. Come on up. Okay, if you three would please stand right here. Come on up. I know it's a big step, but you're big men, so come on up here. Let's see. If you would come this way and then leave room. Here we go. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you guys one at a time, and I'm going to invite you into a scene into a dramatic scene, okay? Have any of you ever done any drama or acting or anything? A little bit. You wouldn't admit it right now anyway. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, what's your name? Andrew. Andrew? Yeah. Great. Come on, Andrew. I'm going to invite you in, and you and I are going to do a scene together, okay? This is really simple. You don't have to have a microphone or anything. You can say whatever you want. Well, not whatever you want, but um, <laughs> say what comes to mind. And I'm going to say one line, and I just want you to respond, because we're in a scene together, okay? okay? You ready? Get into character, loosen up. Okay, ready? Okay. Okay, ready? ready? Oh no, they're shooting at us. Run. Run, okay, good, <laughs> good. Okay, come over here, come over here, good. There are flight people and there are fight people. So we found, awesome, Andrew, okay, come over here. Tell me your name. Michael. Mike, great, okay, ready? Loosen up, y'all all loosen, okay. Put your hands down, shake them out a little bit. Okay, ready? Oh no, they're shooting at us. Go after him. Pardon me? Go after him. Go after him. You're telling me to go after him. 
Okay, well, we'll go together and go after. Okay, okay, he's more of a fight guy. All right, a flight guy, a fight guy. Great. Okay, we're warming up here. Okay, come on, now it's your turn. All right, you're loose, you're loose, you're ready to go. Okay, ready? Of course he can dance. Watch this. Okay, there we go. Awesome. Not a big surprise, okay. Kind of threw him a curveball, so nice job, nice response. Hey, can we give these guys a hand for helping us out here? Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So imagine that you were um, sequestered by your child to come on up here. Imagine it was you who was standing up here with me and there was that scene. Uh, and so the, the, you're set up there. How would you respond? How would you have responded in that situation? Imagine that you were stuck on stage with me for that moment. Well, it depends. It depends. You, you hear the line, and then the thought is, the natural thought is, well, it depends on who I am. I mean, if I'm playing a character, what character am I? What's the situation? What's the scene? Well, who's shooting at us? You might be a coward. No offense, um, Andrew, but um, you might be a coward, and the natural response is, is flight. And so that, that might be how you respond, because your character not you, but your character is a coward. So that'll determine how you're going to respond. Or you might be an army ranger or some special forces uh, dude and whatever's happening there. And so then it's, well, let's go get them. Let's go towards the sound. Let's go defend people or protect people or whatever. There are different ways to respond. Or you could be a hockey goalie. And if somebody says, oh no, they're shooting at us, you say, well, go take the puck. Anybody with me? Okay. I mean, it, it depends on the situation. It depends on the scenario. That's the fun of, of improv acting. That's the, fr that's the fun of acting, is you get to pretend to be a character. You put on a costume, you put on makeup or whatever that is, and you pretend to respond to situations based on what that character would do. That's what makes acting interesting. That's also partially what makes Halloween interesting that sometimes people like to dress up as other characters. I walked around uh, last night with a party and there were some people dressed up as characters that were very different than the people I know them to be. And they love being that character, dressing up and pretending to be someone else for an evening. It's fun, it's, it's enjoyable. But if you went to work on Wednesday morning or Wednesday of next week, still dressed up as Yoda and flipping your sentences around, weird would you be? I mean, that, that's, that's not acceptable because in the real life, it's not healthy to walk around and pretend to be somebody else. In real life, it's, it, it's not healthy, it's not helpful to respond based on how somebody else would respond or some other character would respond or the person that you're pretending to be would respond. What's crucial is for us to know who we are, not who we're pretending to be, not who we wish we were, but to know who we are and then to respond from that place. Again, when we know who we are, then we know how to respond in situations, in different situations. When I was a senior in seminary, which is graduate school for theology, I was attending a church in Cincinnati. I was going to school in Indiana, but I was attending a church 
in Cincinnati. It was this amazing church, greatest church I'd ever had the privilege of being a part of. My girlfriend at the time, who became my wife, uh, she and I were attending this church in, in Cincinnati, and the pastor of that church uh, came up to Indiana to where my school was, and he had known me just a little bit, but I didn't apply for any role there or anything. He just came up to me, and he, he met with me for breakfast, and he said, you need to come on staff with us. He said, um, come on staff with us for two years, and he said, I need you to understand something. Um, we don't need you, that our church, and said, so we don't need you, and you have nothing to offer us. <laughs> but you come on staff with us for two years, you'll train, it'll, be, it'll prep you for whatever, you know, whatever your next steps are. So you can imagine how tingly I felt inside. Wow, how could I refuse an offer like that? That's literally what happened. That was literally the conversation. This guy's name is Steve Shogren, and he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life, and he's an extraordinary leader and a different kind of guy, different personality type. Um, on the Myers-Briggs, I think he's an XQT4. Uh, so he's just a really different kind of dude, um, but uh, extraordinary in, in many ways. Sometimes as I do my job now as a lead pastor here, there are times when people will say something to me and it will feel inappropriate. It'll feel, I'll be offended by something somebody will, will say to me, whether it's a staff member or a leader in the church or something, and I, and I feel like, wow, that, that's hard for me to hear or whatever. And, and I'm surprised with the number of times, because I got to meet Steve Shogren and spend time with him, I'm surprised with the number of times that I think, I would never have said that to Steve Shogren. Can anyone relate to a situation like that? And even I, I, I even think no one would ever have said that to Steve Shogren. And so I get kind of caught up in that and spun around and how is this appropriate and wow, how could they have done this, et cetera. But what's so unhelpful about that is that I'm not Steve Shogren. I mean, that's, it's, it can be so unhelpful to get caught up in thinking you're somebody else. The circumstances are different. The situation is different. My relationships are different. I am not Steve Shogren. If we don't know who we are, sometimes we don't know how to respond to situations. My favorite all-time movie is A Few Good Men from 1991. Now, don't judge me. I, I, uh, I know this movie's not funny. Well, it's a little bit funny. Actually, that's a line in the movie right there. But uh, it's a little bit funny. There's no car chases. Very, there's only one gunshot. I mean, there's very, you know, I understand that. But this movie, it grabs me on so many levels. And I know some of you are, you know, familiar with the movie and such. I want to show a clip from it this morning, a clip that perhaps has never been shown in church before. It does not make the trailers. I mean, this clip that I want to show. It's kind of a, you know, tucked away part of the movie. Um, just to kind of give background for this clip, Tom Cruise was much younger back in 1991, and he plays a Navy lawyer who's defending two Marines who are, who are on trial for murder. And they have to try to figure out whether it was an accident or whether it was their fault or, or somebody else's fault or whatever. In this part of the movie, his case to defend these two Marines is not going well. All the things that were potentially going to help out these two young men are, are, not, are falling apart. And so he has, he has nothing to help his case except 
one thing, and that is to bring the colonel, Colonel Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson, to bring the colonel from Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, all the way down to Washington, D.C., put him on the stand and have him testify and see if they can catch him in terms of his role in this whole story. Now, that's the decision. That's what he's trying to figure out. Should I bring the colonel down? Well, of course he does because that's where we get the famous line, you can't handle the truth. Right. Uh, I'm not going to show that scene. Sorry. You'll have, to, you'll have to YouTube that one later on. But this is a scene just prior to that when he's trying to make the decision, should I bring Colonel Jessup down to Washington, D.C.? Because it was at great risk for him to do that. He was sitting with his best friend, Sam, and he was, they were trying to figure out, should I go for it or not? And this is the conversation they had. Is your father proud of you? Don't do this to yourself. I'll bet he is. I think my father would have enjoyed seeing me graduate from law school. I think he would have liked that an awful lot. Did I ever tell you I wrote a paper about your father in college? Yeah. One of the best trial lawyers ever. Yes, he was. And if I were Dawson and Downey and I had a choice between you or your father to represent me in this case, I'd choose you any day of the week and twice on Sunday. You should have seen yourself thunder away, Kendrick. Did you put Jessup on the stand? No. You think my father would have? With the evidence we got? Not in a million years. But here's the thing. And there's really no way of getting around this. Neither Lionel Caffey nor Sam Weinberg are lead counsel for the defense in the matter of U.S. versus Dawson and Down. So there's really only one question. What would you do? So he says, um, I bet your father's proud of you. And so this, there's this battle going on inside of him. What should I do? What decision am I supposed to make? How am I supposed to respond to this situation? And the reason I think that clip is relevant, the reason I wanted to show it this morning, is to make the point that you are not your dad. You are not your mom. You're not your sister. You're not your brother. You're not your mentor, you're not your boss, you're not your favorite author. You're not a famous person that you admire. You are who you are. And so the journey that we wanna go on here over these next few weeks is, do you know who you are? Are you at peace with who you are? Do you know what to say yes to and what to say no to based on who you are? Not your past, not your previous mistakes, but based on who you are. Do you know how to make decisions and which direction to go forward based on who you are? Do you know who you are? My hope today and in this journey is that, um, is that we have clarity that this is not a Christian versus non-Christian issue. It's not that Christians, those who would say they're follower of Christ, that they know what, 
what their identity is, and those who are not Christian, those who are not followers of Christ, they do not know who their identity is. That's certainly uh, part of it, and we'll look into that and, and how God speaks into what our identity is, but that's not all of it. In other words, this, I believe, is a relevant question for each and every one of us here in this room. Do you know who you are? Are you a sinner who continues to struggle with the same poor decisions? Or are you a saint who continues to struggle with the same poor decisions? Are you uh, someone who is getting away with something in a part of your life, in a secret part of your life? Or are you someone who deep down inside wants to get caught in that area because you desperately want freedom from that part of your life? Are you an addict? Or are you someone with a great story of redemption? Are you a single person who's thriving in your role right now? Or are you a single person who is surviving because you desperately want your creator to provide a mate for you? And so you're kind of in limbo. Who are you? Are you someone who's comfortable in your own skin? Or are you someone who, who needs to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend connected with you? Or that has been part of your journey? Are you the leader in your household? Or are you the servant in your household? Are you a servant because you are loving others? Or are you a servant because you're stuck in some kind of role that you're not thrilled about? Are you a stay-at-home mom and thriving in that role? Or are you resentfully unemployed? As you sit here in this room this morning, do you know right here, right now, that you are fully loved by the creator of the universe? Or do you sit here in this room right now and wish that you could know that you are fully loved and forgiven by the creator of the universe? Do you know who you are? I realize as we start off this series that uh, I'm not answering any questions. I'm, I'm, I'm raising questions. I'm stirring up this issue. And I'm not answering any questions. In fact, next week, we're gonna stir up the issue a little bit more and go a little bit deeper into this identity piece. We're not gonna, we're not gonna land the plane. In weeks three, four, and five, we will land the plane. So I'm gonna ask you something here as I close that I don't normally ask as we start off a series. I'm gonna ask you to consider something. Will you, for five weeks, join us each week? Because this really is a five-week journey. It's not the best series to jump in on week one and then jump in on week four and kind of figure, yeah, I got the gist of it or whatever. I just want to add, I know your schedules are busy and you're traveling on weekends and I know we have busy circumstances and uh, et cetera. But as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, would you consider joining us each week for this journey as we walk out this identity piece and celebrate where we're gonna go in weeks three, four, and five as part of this series? If we don't know who we are, we don't know how to respond to the situations in life. Or flipping that around, if you find yourself stumbling in the dark, struggling with decisions that you need to make, are there questions for you about who you truly are and how that could inform that part of your life? That's what we're gonna walk out over, over these next few weeks. And I, uh, I do pray that God would bless this journey with us. 
As we close, uh, would you stand uh, with me here and, and then um, bow your head. Father God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to gather here in this space. And, and I know that there's different responses here in this room to this question of knowing who we are. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir up the right things. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would challenge us and... Um, that we would be open to uh, ways that you want us to uh, figure out our identity in a powerful way over these next weeks. God, we celebrate who you are, and from that place, we want to discover more about who you've made us to be. In Jesus' name.